from the author of the book by the same name. It's the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast with Mark McRae. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. I'm Mark McRae, and I'm here with Dan Clink. Yeah. And in today's show, we're going to talk about continuity, contradiction, and canon in cartoons. It's a whole lot of C's, a whole lot of alliteration right there, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. We put a lot of work into this show. Before we even get into the stuff that drives us crazy in terms of continuity, Dan, in your words, explain what is continuity? All right. Continuity, canon. It's when you really focus and knuckle down and expand on your world building. Uh, the rules that are established, uh, events, items, plot devices that define what the world is, but also evolve and change along with the story. Elements that carry forward. Uh, here, like an example, you know, Star Trek is actually a great, a great example uh, of of canon. First episode of Next Generation, not not the pilot episode, Farpoint Station, but the one that's a callback to the original series. It's established that Data is uh, has full male anatomy, fully functioning male sexual organs, right? Wow, I didn't know that. And, oh, and yeah. I, and I'm a fan. Uh-oh. And, and Better start Star taking Trek those fan. Star Trek points away from call, me. Call you out, call you out. <laughs> so it's established that Data is uh, fully armed and operational, so to speak. Well, sometime in the fourth or fifth season, uh, Data has a girlfriend in an episode, and it is revisited. It is, it, is, it is then restated that indeed Data has uh, male anatomy and is able to use them to the fullest extent. Not to get off subject, but I would actually be terrified of fully functional Data bots out there stealing my <laughs> girlfriend. Right? <laughs> but anyway, I digress. I digress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there it is. It's, it, it, and, it, and I think he also talks about how he was in love with Tasha Yar, who was a character from the first season who died, da-da-da. Oh, That's right. all carrying stuff forward. I, Star Trek like, you know, has other canon things, I guess, but that's, that's the one that, that uh, I, I think conveys the, the idea the best. Gotcha. Okay, that's cool. Uh, so another question for you, um, wondering if you agree, uh, is it okay that creators, you know, make changes to continuity to reach a new audience? I, oh. I say, I say yes. I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would agree. When you get to a property that is so, so old, I mean, let's just use the words <laughs> right. as uh, they were intended. You look at a franchise that's so old, it has to. It has to. You know, the reason you established those ideas in your story and chose to move them forward to begin with was to make money. Everything right. you see on TV, damn near everything you see in a museum. We get into this in the Art Meets Commerce, everybody. That's an episode that you may have already heard or will be hearing in the future. Uh, money. And sensibilities change. Viewerships change. Demographics change. People right. change. It's, it's sink or swim. You know, who who are you who's paying for the show now? Yeah. And if you want to expand the franchise, you have to think about your audience and how they're looking at things and and how culture has changed. Right. I know that uh Star Trek Discovery was a show that, you know, met with a lot of opposition. Yes. 
not to get into that whole argument about why Star Trek Discovery. Oh, is, yeah, we don't is, need to. Yeah, no, that, that's right. for the best Star Treks of our lives podcast. Yeah. Right. Plus, you right. already did a panel about it. Uh, at oh, we Trek, did. In fact, Treklanta. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you know? that's uh, where, where we met. Yeah, it was Chris Jones and the Nerd Bliss podcast, and I did that mm-hmm. panel at Treklanta. We had a pretty, pretty big turnout and a really right. great discussion right. about it. I feel like sometimes you have to craft a new series that isn't like your grandfather's series. And it has to have sensibilities that are for a new audience in order to bring them in. If you keep making everything the same over and over again, what's the point? When we were talking the other day, I was telling you how I'm really loving the new She-Ra series. Because I feel like... The creators for this new series have now, based on the storylines, have gone beyond. It's gone beyond the original series. And I'm totally on board now. And I just love like what they've done with some of those original ideas and, and inspirations. They've been able to honor those original ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, some of those original ideas were, quite frankly, you know, a couple of throwaway lines, maybe. Right. Or, or maybe uh, a level of tension that was more audience inferred than it than it actually was in script. Exactly. Exactly. And they've been able to not only, you know, reimagine the show, move it forward, but also really honor the roots of that. And I think if you're going to mess with the canon of a show all the way to rebooting, well, I certainly think it helps both financially and and critically to honor the original material. Well, speaking of continuity, uh, there was an interesting case for continuity, uh, an animated series called Sinbad Jr. and his Magic Belt. So this is Sinbad's kid? And what Sinbad, <laughs> and, and, and what Sinbad is it? Is it like the old story? Is it the, uh, the movie uh, Magical Voyage of Sinbad? Is this the oh kid? Oh, my is gosh. This, did he have a kid? I don't think Sinbad Jr.'s dad shows up and says, all right, I'm going to send you out on a boat by yourself and you're going to have adventures with pirates, etc., etc." You're right. I think the idea is, hey, kids, the idea of Sinbad and you're a kid, mm-hmm. Jr. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting story. The series was conceived by Sam Singer's production company in 1960. And uh, Sam Singer also made the uh, awesome Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse cartoon that is loosely based on Batman and Robin. In my opinion, it is the first real animated Batman and Robin series, except it's Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse. And it was created by Bob Kane. But anyway, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, they started to produce episodes of Sinbad Jr. Sam Singer's company or the people that were supposed to be financing the company, uh, there was some type of issue budgeting wise and they lost their financing. Right. And so American International, who owned the rights to the Sinbad character, decided they wanted the production to continue. So they went to Hanna-Barbera Productions. Usually when with something that radical, you would think that you now have a whole new group of, of, of creators coming in. Right. What are they going to do? Are they going to put their own spin on it? Are they going to make it their own? Yeah, I mean, you would have thought that would have happened, but um, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't even notice a transition. I to me they all looked like the same episodes. Right. And for a while on the internet, there was a split screen Sam Singer production Sinbad Jr. on one side versus the Hanna-Barbera Sinbad Jr. on the other side. Right. And the character designs and aesthetics, everything really looked the same. I mean, 
there are kind of cool Hanna-Barbera touches that, you know, only Hanna-Barbera can do in terms of animation. But for the most part, it was a pretty smooth transition. Right. And I don't think any of the kids at home realized that there were two separate production companies making the same cartoon, which oh, I think is pretty wow. cool. That's very cool. They So they, they, they made a concerted effort. Right. To... Uh, to have the show continue forward as seamlessly as possible. Yeah. That's pretty cool, especially that, that level of detail in terms of a children's show. It was almost like uh, American International was shopping around for an animation studio, and I'm like, well, if these guys are going out of business, who can we rely on that has a good reputation right. to, to continue the production? Shopping and it around. was. Right. Uh, yeah, like it was that. literally like shopping. <laughs> let's, let's go shopping for, uh, for an animation studio, fellas. Yeah, I mean, because there were so many animation studios out in the early 1960s because the theatrical movie business was being phased out. And you had a lot of these animators who got laid off from the MGMs and other big studios that were going into business for themselves. And so right. this property really could have landed anywhere. I mean, and even Hanna-Barbera, I mean, at one point worked for MGM and was let go. And that's how they formed their own television company. Right. It's kind of interesting seeing one animation company imitate the work of another animation company and keep everything consistent and I think that's cool. That's, you know, they somehow made it work. No, that's very cool. That's very cool. Uh, you know, it was also very cool. And uh, and I think I think our audience has waited long enough. What do you think, Mark? I think they've waited long enough. This is something that needs to definitely be talked about. No, we definitely need to, everybody. We just need to sit down and finally talk about the Flintstones. <laughs> Meet the Flintstones. <laughs> They're your modern Stone Age family. family. Continuity. What's going on here with the Flintstones? Because the Flintstones are still going. They're still dropping Flintstone stuff, right? I mean, oh when, my gosh! Yes. When's the last time? When's the last time the Flintstones cashed a check? Not not terribly I, long ago. I think uh, the last thing I saw was a straight to video DVD special with Fred and Barney as wrestlers okay. versus the WWE Stone Age wrestlers. <laughs> that was the last project I remember seeing. Okay, so that would be a discussion for uh, our good friend Adam Sexy Thor Weston's uh, podcast, Ring of Thunder. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, hey, oh, crossover. Definitely. Crossover idea. Write, write that down. Write yeah, that down. for sure. Yeah. So oh, the Flintstones, yeah. ni 1960, uh, all the way through, I don't know, a couple of years ago, have been producing content how does it how how does the idea of canon and continuity apply to bedrock? All right. Well, first we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is Joe Rockhead. Oh my god, Joe Rockhead, this guy. Right. <laughs> the occasional friend that was used as a plot device. Your your everyman Joe Rock Joe Rockhead. Right. So, I'm I'm going to cite some of my sources here and okay. uh which is the uh Hanna-Barbera fan pages that I belong to who and some there are ex Hanna-Barbera employees in the in these groups and what makes that awesome is the fact that they have their own theories about why certain characters were created and why things went on in the in the series. Right. And the theory is 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 that, and it's one that I've heard before, is that there were several different production teams working on the Flintstones at the same time, and that these teams weren't necessarily always communicating. 
Right. And this is why there are so many, or the possibility of why there are so many different designs for Joe Rockhead. Right. Every time Joe Rockhead shows up, he looks completely different. Right, yeah, but it's it's Joe Rockhead. You know, we'd right. also explored the idea that maybe it was an inside joke. Right. And that, you right. know, you, you, there was no, the show wasn't syndicated. It wasn't in, in, a, in a land of endless reruns. Certainly streaming wasn't a thing. Uh, hell, even picking up the, the shows on video wasn't a thing. Right. So well, let's just, yeah. Let's just say for argument's sake that Joe Rockhead shows up every 10 episodes. Right. By the time you remember him showing up again, you don't exactly remember what he looked like that time before. No, so oh I, God, I agree no. with you, man. I think that there probably was some like inside joke. That it was, <laughs> With yeah. making every time Joe Rockhead appeared, the animators decided to make him slightly different. Eventually, <laughs> it's like one of the animators asks the editor, so what do we call this character? I'm thinking, I don't know, Joe Rockhead? And the manager would just be like, I just don't, I don't even care anymore, dude. Yes, of course, Joe Rockhead. <laughs> and you know what? No, it kind of works. Nothing even matters, buddy. Joe Rockhead. Animators love to play jokes right. a lot. And it's a part of their tradition to, to play little jokes and to put little things in the animated cartoon that right. only they know about. And so right. perhaps that was the case with Joe Rockhead. Let's just make him different every time. So that was one of the inconsistencies. But I think one of the bigger ones that uh, people don't talk about so much is the uh, Pebbles and Bam Bam. I guess the fantasy episodes where Pebbles and Bam Bam are either teenagers or young adults. Well, I almost feel like we should we should do this one, this part of the story, like out of sync. Because mm-hmm. let's let's just real quick jump to and just acknowledge at least the, the before we do a deeper dive. The Pebbles and Bam Bam show in the seventies. Right. They had their. They were the focus of a show. Uh, right. Yet when they when Pebbles and Bam Bam came out, that was not the first time we had seen them as young adults. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so that was the thing. So the Flintstones had been doing like really big business in syndication. And uh, and I heard this story uh, from Lou Scheimer, who ran Filmation, and he said that Filmation had pitched a show to Fred Silverman and CBS called Emmy Lou. It was a comic strip, a national syndicated comic strip that ran in the newspapers, and it was about Emmy Lou and her fun teenage adventures. And while Fred Silverman was mulling over whether to buy Emmy Lou for the Saturday morning lineup, he thought about the Flintstones since it was doing great in syndication. Why not have a right. teenage version of Pebbles and Bam Bam? Right. And right. so that was the story that Lou Scheimer told me. So they ended up selling Emmy Lou the following year uh, to, um, it was part of a show called Archie TV's Funnies that featured Archie and the gang running a TV station and showing animated adventures of Dick Tracy and Broomhilda and Emmy Lou and other comic strip characters so it, it did work out for filmation anyway but uh that was the type of person that fred silverman was if he didn't take your pitch idea you know sometimes you would get an explanation it's like well you know i think having a teenage version of pebbles and bam bam might get higher ratings than you know emmy lou a character that nobody's ever heard of right right <laughs> no that's smart smart now let's yeah. uh let, let's flash back to the flintstones because again Pebbles and Bam Bam show. That's not the first time we saw them as as te- as teenagers and whatnot. 
Yeah, it's not the first time. And so um, a teenage version of Pebbles first shows up in a, in a fantasy episode called Groom Gloom. And in the episode, Pebbles is a teenager dancing in her room, listening to Leonard Bernstone, I think. Oh, it's supposed to be Bernstein, but the you know prehistoric version. Right. And she ends up eloping or marrying uh, Arnold, the newsboy, who okay. Fred Flintstone just hates because Arnold is... Arnold the newsboy is smart and he makes fun of Fred being not so smart and he's very smug. And uh, Fred has this terrible dream that this little boy who was his nemesis marries his baby girl, you know? Oh, okay. That's one time Pebble shows up and then she shows up another time in an episode 148 called Rip Van Flintstone right. where Fred Flintstone falls asleep at, the, at a company picnic. And when he wakes up, he's 20 years older and he has gray hair and a long beard. And Pebbles and Bam Bam have married in this particular episode. Barney is rich, which is interesting. And Pebbles looks the same as she does in the previous Groom Gloom episode. And, oh. and, and But we have the added value of seeing Bam Bam now as a teenage version who, in this version of Bam Bam, he sort of looks like his dad, Barney. Okay, right. Except taller. Right, poor guy. Uh, <laughs> so so the original Flintstones cared enough about its own continuity that in, in a second dream episode, if you will, a projection forward episode, they kept the same character design yeah. of Pebbles. Now, do you think that was because they were being conscious of their world building, of their canon, or budget? Like they already had the animation cells of, of yeah. her. Yeah, budget, definitely. Budget, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, so episode 90 versus episode 148, I would say that those were probably seasons apart. You know, oh, one season I was, apart. I was, yeah, you know, I was just looking at this myself. That's at least one season separated from each right. other. Yeah. So why not have a little bit more fun with this whole idea of Pebbles and Bam Bam being teenagers and poor Fred being out of control? Right. And, uh, and I remember, I believe, from the um, in the Groom Gloom episode, you know, when Fred realizes it was just a terrible dream, he says to Pebbles, I, I, I wish you never grow up or something like that. Right. And Wilma says, Fred, that's a terrible thing to say. And, you know, Fred is just holding Pebbles and they got the little heart animation coming out and stuff. But, you know, as a dad, I think whether it's a little boy or a little girl, there's a part of you that kind of feels you, you sort of want them to be little and innocent and that you're taking care of them forever, you know. And so I totally got that, too. And it was like a really sweet ending to an episode. Okay. Um, Right, and sure, for, you know, because sure. Fred Flintstone could be kind of uh, abrasive. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so it was like moments like that in an episode that really made you like and care for Fred as sure, well. Sure. And his feelings right, right. as a human being, which I think was cool. I personally, uh, no, I'm not about all that. I can't relate at all. The further I get, <laughs> the further away we get from my kids, like needing me to, to clean them after they've like defecated themselves, <laughs> the better we are. <laughs> well, further, you might have a point there. You know, the further away I, we get from me having to watch them to make sure they don't like choke because they put a Lego in their mouth, uh-huh. the the better we are. Though the idea yeah. of one of my children marrying like my enemy, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would that's the one that would piss me off. That that's right. that, that's the episode I would relate to. Um, yeah, yeah, it would that's have a real it would thing. have to be a polyamorous, a very polyamorous relationship though, because I have a lot of enemies out there. <laughs> Get in line, folks. <laughs> oh. Anyway, moving right along, we flash forward again to the the Pebbles and Bam Bam show. Mm-hmm. How long did that go for, and what kind of dynamic did they have, and w- what was carried over from these characters? Uh, nothing was carried series. over. Nothing, right? Right. Yeah. And and to be fair, it was a dream. It was a fantasy episode. And, you know, there's like maybe about a six-year gap between the last Flintstone episodes and the premiere of Pebbles and Bam Bam in the fall of 1971. Right. You know, there were probably new people, new young people working at Hanna-Barbera that wanted an opportunity to definitely work on the first Flintstone spinoff. It was going to be a big deal. It had to be a big deal right. because the show, the original show was so groundbreaking. I guess they decided to, you know, throw some of that continuity out the window. Right. Bam Bam sort of looks like himself as a baby. Yeah. But grown. Less like Barney. Right. Exactly. And Pebbles doesn't look like herself at all. I feel like she looks like Sally Struthers, who was the actor that was voicing her part. Right, right, right. But it was still a a beautiful design. Oh, Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Also, as as people, they mm -hmm. were well, very much kind of crafted by their fathers. Right. You know, in terms of their their behaviors and their motivations and like like Bam Bam, for example, you could tell he grew up in an institutionally like sidekick house. You know, <laughs> that is so wrong and so accurate. <laughs> it really, I mean, am I wrong? You've seen the show. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't say that you're wrong. I wouldn't say he that is, you're he wrong. Is, he is Pebble's sidekick. Right, yeah. right. And Pebbles. Yeah, because, yeah, what about Pebbles? <laughs> I mean, those likable moments you talk about with Fred. Uh, how he's holding his baby girl right Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it ends you know they they capture them both like in a with a heart you know as the episode ends very sentimental i don't i don't recall pebbles having very many of those moments pebbles was supposed to be very much like her dad you know coming up with these crazy schemes that you know didn't work out and of course bam bam is there because that's her boyfriend which I only heard him being established as her boyfriend like in one episode. Right. But a lot of these crazy schemes didn't really work out. I mean, there's uh, my favorite episode actually is the one where Pebbles promises that uh, the Rolling Stones or their version of the Rolling Stones are going to come to sure. her, her birthday party or come to Cindy, the rival. Right. birthday party right and mick jagstone and I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure if that was his name i mean why would you think it wasn't <laughs> right he shows up at the party after all and everything works out great for pebbles and right. there's this wonderful dance sequence and it's beautiful for me as a fan i just wish that there were more of those moments. More of those where, moments, right. Right. Where she's not apologizing for doing something she shouldn't have done. Well, being unlikable. You know? Let's just be honest. Being kind of <laughs> unlikable. You know, where you know, Fred was like get rich quick schemes and whatnot. Pebbles right. was more like social engineering schemes. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or when poor Bam Bam would say something funny like, Uh oh, I've seen that look in your eyes, Pebbles. 
Yeah, you know, right. she's getting ready to come up with a crazy idea that toll enabler, mm-hmm. just oh, like Barney, definitely, just like definitely. father like son. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they're the real, they're the real antagonists of, <laughs> of the Flintstones. <laughs> but the other big continuity with this series was that Bam Bam did not have his super strength. You know, in the original Flintstones episode, he was billed as the strongest baby in the world, and right. the storyline was not carried over. And when I was a kid watching this show, I was like, "Wow, Bam Bam doesn't have his strength." What's no, up with same that? Here. Same here. I remember asking that almost every time I watched it. Uh, though mm-hmm. you, you and I discussed this, uh, how they would have been writing themselves into a corner. Right. Had right. they given oh. him his powers. Oh, yes, yes. It was a one-trick pony. And yeah. I think that they did not necessarily want to rely on his super strength every episode. It, it really eliminates so many wacky, out-of-control situations. Right. You know, if he can just roll up and, and be strong, like stupid strong, like superhero mm-hmm. strong you're really limiting your options in terms of potential peril and zaniness. Right. And if you look back at some of those old Flintstone episodes, you know, yes, Bam Bam was the strongest baby in the world for maybe a couple of episodes. But if you notice, or if you recall, the writers quickly dropped that storyline and just like had him doing baby stuff and being cute. That didn't even carry forward in the original, within the original series. Correct. Oh, I'll be damned. I didn't right. uh, I didn't know that. But it's something that kids or fans always remember that sure. Bam Bam was this super strong baby and that was the joke. And and when Bam Bam first showed up, or well, he was adopted by the Rubbles, he was jacking everybody up. Right. You know what I mean? Unexpectedly right. because he's a baby. He doesn't know his own strength, but it made for a big laugh. Right. Again, thank you, fans of Facebook and Hanna Barbera. One of the guys commented on Facebook that the way that Bam Bam, his character design, you know, he has broad shoulders and this barrel chest right. that maybe at one point the writers were thinking about making him super strong. Oh, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, so that's okay. kind of interesting. Mm. And also on the same uh, Hanna-Barbera fan page, someone posted a Pebbles and Bam Bam comic book where Bam Bam is lifting Pebbles, lifting her car so that Cindy oh, can walk past. And Cindy right. is Pebbles, you know, rival. Right. Um, we don't know why they're rivals, except they're that Cindy. Are. Well, yeah. Cindy's a snob. She's a snob. And she oh. thinks that Pebbles is, you know, whatever. And <laughs> so I thought it was cool that, you know, the comic book people were able to take a little bit more of the of a creative license on Bam Bam and just for laughs and giggles make him super strong, maybe for the cover of the comic book only, which of course was a you know smart idea. Right. Uh, another thing that I thought was also smart that they did on the Pebbles and Bam Bam series was that the writers did not play onto the fact that Pebbles and Bam Bam were dating. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, watching the reruns as a kid, to me, it always seemed like it was implied. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Or was I was was I just injecting my own bias? As I said earlier, there was one episode where Bam Bam is mentioned as Pebbles' boyfriend, but right. I just don't remember that happening a lot. And I never, ever got the impression that they were dating. And so when that line is actually said much later in life when I was watching the series, it kind of caught me by surprise. I'm like, oh, so I guess they were dating because I never got the impression that they were dating. I didn't even get the impression that it was implied. Oh, okay. 
All right. I just thought that Bam Bam was just part of the clique that included Moonrock and some of the other characters. Yeah, okay. So that that's actually kind of cool that when you think about it, kind of progressive for its time. Right. In that you know. the a, a male a, a female lead character isn't going to be at least in part defined by her relation to a man. Right. You know. Right. It wasn't important. That's been a struggle you know. for for television actresses with strong female characters for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not wanting to be defined by a dude. Yeah. Right. So that that's that's pretty cool. I think it's real cool and I think by 1978 there was a Flintstone special called Little Big League. Okay. And Pebbles character design would change again more in keeping with those original fantasy sequence character designs that you saw in the Flintstones. And so uh, somebody came in and says, you know what, why don't we make Pebbles the way that she was originally designed? Oh, wow. And this now, Little Big League, this was like a made-for-TV movie? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, Little Big League. I kind of feel like it was one of those straight to video, but <laughs> but it was a it was I feel like it probably did air on television because, you know, Cartoon Network used to air it back in the day. Yeah, I don't think 78 had straight to video. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I, I think at that in the se- by 78, I think only Adult Entertainment, if you know what I mean, <laughs> was going t- straight to video. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah, so it was a TV special and uh what is funny in 1980, so this uh, Little Big League came out in 78, but in 1980, uh, the Flintstones' new Neighbors, which was another special, Pebbles right. is a baby again. And I'm guessing it's the same character design from the original series in right. terms of Pebbles right. as a baby. Okay. Right. Do they introduce anything in the story that contradicts the original series? I don't know, because I didn't... Or Pebbles and Bam Bam, for that matter. I guess we have I some watching I'm not even sure if Bam Bam showed up in, this, in the Flintstones' New Neighbors. Maybe okay. he did. I would have to rewatch it again, but... Um, well, if there was the Flintstones' New Neighbors, either the Rebels moved out, or we're talking about the neighbors, like, on the other side of them. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, maybe. that's at the... Bur- that, that must have been a burning question. Like, yeah, but what about the other neighbors? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. So there was a well-known Disney animator that was working at Warner Brothers for a little while. Right. And he was trying to work on a new Flintstone special where it talked about the first African-American family to move into the Flintstones neighborhood. Oh, interesting. And I got the impression that this story was going to take place in the original Flintstones continuity okay i just think the project went away i think that the animator ended up going back to disney and that was the end of it but that was a a project that i heard this one particular animator slash director was working on and i think it would have been interesting to see right you know how the whole african-american family moving and being the first moving into you know a a neighborhood that doesn't have african-americans you know 
What year was this? This was going to be, I want to say, as early as 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. Someone was working. But it was like a, okay. it wasn't like the Warner Brothers Studios were working on it. Sure, sure. It was just a animator who was a director that was working on it as a way, you know, as a way to hopefully pitch to Warner Brothers Animation. Because uh, I was thinking like maybe back in the 90s where in retrospect, it would be one of those cartoons that gave us the impression that racism was solved a million years mm-hmm. ago in Bedrock. Right. You know, right. but if you're saying this is a like a relatively recent project, wow, mm-hmm. I would be real curious to see where that goes. So also a few years back, there was uh, Seth MacFarlane was supposed to do an updated version of the Flintstone series. Oh, OK, he had pitched the idea to Warner Brothers and they were all for it. But for reasons unknown, the project sort of didn't happen. Oh, OK. And I suspect that, you know, Seth MacFarlane probably wanted full creative control right over those characters which mm. would mean that Fred Flintstone would get the Peter Griffith <laughs> Have you ever heard of the it's a mythical creature I think it's called Ouroboros Oh no a snake that's continually that. it, it's continually eating its own tail I mean okay the Flintstones to the Simpsons to Family Guy to the Flintstones. I kind of wanted to see what this show was going to look like because, you know, in the interview that I read, he said that the writers would have to figure out how to make Stone Age versions of up-to-date technology that we have now, you know, like smartphones and anything that they did not have in the 1960s. And so I was kind of looking forward to seeing how they were going to come up with the gadgets in this new Flintstone show featuring all the new technology that now is in the Flintstones world. That part did interest me. But um, for reasons unknown, um, maybe, you know, like I said, Fred Flintstone would have gotten the Peter Griffith treatment. (laughs) And maybe, you know, like the Flintstones still is a very strong family evergreen brand. And maybe Warner Brothers didn't necessarily want Fred Flintstone to go beyond uh, what people already know. But at the same time, I feel like I would have been disappointed if they just tried to do a new Flintstone show based on what was happening in the 1960s. You know, it would have to be something different and a little compelling and something which was at the start of this conversation Changing the continuity to reach a new audience. Fred Flintstone would be a grandfather uh, <laughs> of, of the baby boomer generation. Dude, Pebbles and Bam Bam are divorced, but they're both right. cast members. Uh, they have <laughs> right, children. Because they, they, yeah, they did get married in the uh, 1993 I Yabba Dabba Doo Okay, now in, in that, what character designs were they using? Bam Bam's character design still carried over from the original Pebbles and Bam Bam show. Like, they really never changed his character. Got it. You know, maybe gave him more hair. That's about it. But he was still the same. Right. Pebbles looked like she did in the original dream sequences from those two episodes, Groom Gloom and Rip Van Flintstone. She looked like those characters. So in terms of canon, it seems like the Pebbles and Bam Bam show was the anomaly for the Pebbles character in terms of design. Yeah, the, okay. the, and it was the first spinoff show, too. Right, right. And it was the first spinoff show to feature most of the original voice cast, uh, with the exception of uh, the actor that played Betty, Rubble, 
Right. Everybody was back. Because I think the following season, they did the Flintstone Comedy Hour, which technically was the second season of the Pebbles and Bam Bam show. You have 30 seconds to describe Thunder Talk. It's pop culture. With a twist. It's music. LBGTQ+. And comedy. Well, dark comedy. It's nerd junk. It's comic books. Video games. Conventions. Yeah, nerd junk. And social commentary. It's woke, yo. Yeah, and nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. Thunder Talk is all over the place. Every place you want to be. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and download us on all podcast platforms. Forms. Uh, okay, of course we're going to talk about the Flintstone kids. I mean, come on, everybody. You, yeah. you, you, you think we're a bunch of, bunch of chumps over here? No. We're going to do a deep dive of the Flintstone kids and talk about some of the continuity issues or were there continuity issues. You got to tune in to continuity, contradiction, and canon part two next time next time on the best Best Saturdays Saturdays of our our lives lives. content (laughs) (laughs) good thing we're stopping now the best Saturdays of our lives podcast is a co-production of the best Saturdays of our lives studios and the weirdos workshop to get a personalized signed copy of the best Saturdays of our lives book go to the best Saturdays of our lives dot com This is Mark McRae signing off.